Hey everyone, this is the First Meetings Podcast with me, your host, Stanley Tenujaya. While I'm many things on paper, the most important thing you need to know about me is that I love the startup space and meeting the inspiring people paving a better future for us today. I've had the pleasure to be captivated by many in the ecosystem, and this podcast serves as a repository for those stories which left me energized. And hopefully, you will too. In the inaugural episode, I'll be sharing my interview with Shania Supasiritad, founder of Renter. Shania is a founder on a mission to make our fashion consumption more sustainable. I met her while doing DD on Renter for a VC competition, and what immediately stood out to me was her sheer hustle. Shania has been involved with the fashion industry for over 12 years and has founded three startups on this journey. The latest iteration, Renter, is building a digital library for fashion where instead of having to own all the clothing you want to wear, you can borrow them and then return the items when you are done using them. Last year, Renter was backed by Galileo Ventures and has built partnerships with over 20 brands to date. And since the recording of this interview, Investable announced they were part of their initial cohort of investments. So it is my pleasure to share my interview with Shania Supasiritad. Shania, thank you for joining me as the inaugural guest on the First Meetings podcast. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. So now I just wanted to start off this conversation by diving a bit into your background. I believe you graduated from Bangkok University before you moved to Melbourne in your 20s. Where did your relationship with fashion begin? Um, I guess. This is, look, to be honest, it's, it's begins since a young age. Um, I'll tell you a bit of a story. So I grew up in Thailand where um, there's a certain beauty standard that I didn't really fit, basically, right? And I guess it's like, it, it's quite a norm um, in Thailand. You can't really be offended when people commenting on your appearance. Like, for example, for me, people constantly mm-hmm. telling me that um, I need a plastic surgery or like, you know, my skin is too dark. It's just always um, a criticism. And, and that's, I don't know whether it's just a Thailand thing. So it's probably most likely an Asian things in general. And um, I grow up, like growing up, I didn't have a problem with how I look. I really like who I am, right? And and I was always funny. So I didn't have a, a problem getting friends and stuff. So um, for me, uh, I turned into fashion really young. It became almost like an armor. So then I dress really well, I dress really loud, and then people pay attention to my clothes rather than my face or, you know, like my skin color or all of these things. So then the conversation steer away from how I'm supposed to fix my face or how I'm supposed to look like. And then it, it became about, you know, talking about my clothing, talking about a sense of style. And I guess that's kind of my, how my relationship with the, the fashion started with my wardrobe it became my armor became a best friend it essentially became my second skins like every single day I can choose who I want to be on those those particular day and and I guess that's just kind of like grew from there I built my confidence up from you know using a different clothing yeah wow that's no that's amazing um I think if I remember correctly you when you first came to Australia so Actually, you graduated from Bangkok University. What made you uh, think to make the jump to Australia? Um, <laughs> actually, I came to study. Um, I came to Australia to study English, and I um, and then yeah, I for some reason I just decided like, well, this is this is an amazing city in Melbourne, and I was just like, 
I really wanted to stay. And at the time, I was kind of like, um, I, I love cake. I love eating pastry and cake. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to become a pastry chef. So my actually first introduction to the city is actually I was studying um, patisserie and I was a pastry chef for like four years um, before I even, you know, stepped into the fashion industry. And yeah, I, I just think Melbourne was just a really cool city and I just fell in love with it. Amazing. So tell me like what the journey was like when you touched down in Melbourne, you learned to become a pastry chef. At what point did this concept of fashion become a sort of career path for you? Um, so fashion has always been almost like a my thing. It's like attached to my um, my identity per se. I never really thought of it as a career. So it's kind of like I came to Melbourne, wanted to be a pastry chef, and I was kind of I work in in the in the chef industry in the hospitality industry for four years, and the hour was pretty insane. It was kind of you know like at one point there's like a week where I didn't see the sun. I'll go into the kitchen oh, wow. before the sun's up. And then I'll get out after the sun's down. So it was kind of like, wow, the hour was really overwhelming. And I was just like, oh, I need a little break because I was starting to lose passion. Mm-hmm. And you can't, like when you're making cake, when you're making something that people are supposed to enjoy, you just, you know, you kind of like, you want to love it. So I wanted to take a little break. So I was looking into, okay, what else can I do to step in really quickly? Um and then that's when I took a short course for the, the fashion business thing. And then um, then I realized like actually it felt a little bit more right. So that's when I started to um, um, my own label. I actually became a, a fashion designer at first in 2009. And then a couple of, uh, and I think that's when my journey to started to really, really realize that like, wait, actually making it all the way through in the fashion industry as like you know as a designer or having your own label is actually quite challenging if you want to do every single thing right Mm. I have a connection with manufacturer in Thailand so because I also speak Thai so for me that was kind of like I want to pay people properly I want to get the best quality of fabric and I was traveling back and forth I was I I was trying to do you know everything um, properly but then also keeping the cost down so that People like myself who didn't earn a lot, like, you know, just an average mm-hmm. salary people um, can actually afford these good clothes, quality clothes, right? Um, you know, a couple of years in, I realized very quickly that this is really difficult to do. It's just like almost not possible. And for me at the time, I was kind of like, oh, wow, I don't really know. Um, basically I was like, the label was selling, but I couldn't really pay myself. So I was like also having a full-time job. And then at, at that point, I was kind of like, is it really, really my passion to be a fashion designer? I think that's like, like I stopped, step back a little bit. I am a creative person. So then I pivot into become um, a fashion stylist. So then I can still, you know, help people find clothes apart from my brand. What else? you know you can you can wear you can look nice and all of this thing right and I think that was like the highlight of my career I was having the best time I was actually spending other people money every day Uh, (laughs) taking people shopping making making like people feel really confident within the short 
two to four hours essentially it's like we we like people that come to me aren't always the um the, the rich and the famous so they like average people that have you know um problem with their sizing or like you know they move into the career they have a promotion didn't really know how to dress for that um, position and all this thing right and then within the short four hours I can actually transform someone confident to make them feel like that's a version of who they wants to be and that was amazing fast forward 2015 the documentary true cause came out I that was like Friday night for me I I was like, came home with a bottle of wine. I was like, I'm going to watch a, you know, um, a fashion documentary because I am in the industry and I'm fancy. So I sat down, um, watched the documentaries and literally like two hours in, I was in tears. I had no idea of like the damage behind the scene of what was happening. And I felt responsible because essentially I was, one of the main facilitator right like every day I tell people to go buy new clothes for that quick happiness and I was also feeding it off that as well so I think after that that was a that was a, a moment in my life where I kind of sort of like wait you, are you gonna wait for someone else to fix this or can you be part of the solution and I think that's when we started to look into what is actually the problem like how can I fix this on a larger scale essentially yeah yeah and I think that there are likely many listeners who don't know about the amount of waste actually generated by the fashion industry so according to the New York Times nearly three-fifths of all clothing end up in incinerators or landfill within a year of pre being produced and obviously you touch on that documentary true cost and it essentially just describes the scale of the problem where it's immense it is, a, it is such an immense and huge problem that we're tackling and i just wanted to ask when when you uh watched that documentary when did you recognize that actually i want to do something about this problem it was such a long time ago i actually don't really know the specific moment of the documentary but i think the documentary was like really such an eye-opener for me mm -hmm. someone who works in the industry every single day um since 2009 essentially I didn't know I just didn't have an idea of what it was happening because like for example with my own label we didn't create a lot we didn't make heaps and heaps of piece right right because I wasn't like you know selling thousands and thousands of items and I work a lot with with the manufacturer like really closely the one that I know um and then but and when I became a, a fashion stylist I wasn't part of the brand so I didn't really know what was going on behind the scene all I know is my clients consumer behavior I started to feel like every, you know, I would take someone for like, um, you know, two to four hours. And then three months later, season changed. They'll come back again and be like, we need a new wardrobe. And I was like, wait, we just did that. And we're supposed to have, you know, like we spend $3,000 in a session. You're supposed to have that for 12 months kind of thing. But, you know, it, it became something that like it get faster and faster. So I think... For me, I kind of already sort of feel like the pace was going really fast. Um, when you watch a documentary, I think that was kind of almost like an eye-opener that like, yeah, it's not just for you. It's literally like a global movement that is going really, really fast. And after we finished the, the documentaries, I think it just left 
a really almost like really nasty feeling. Also from someone who I have a really close relationship with with fashion and clothing because it helped me growing up to know that my second skin suddenly didn't feel comfortable anymore. You just fell a little bit off. It's kind of, you go back to that place where, wait, your comfort zone, your armor here is not comfortable anymore. Um, what can you do about it? Wow. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really powerful motivator right there. There's a really powerful <laughs> this feeling like the second skin that you've worn your entire life. Um, just, you don't feel like you fit in it anymore, I suppose. So I guess this ties in quite nicely into Tumnus, the first startup that you sort of, the first startup that you began. Can you tell me a bit more about how that came to be? Um, so Tumnus was starting from, like I mentioned, that um, we, uh, so after that, I was kind of like, oh, wait, how can I, how can I, you know, do this? like almost like uh, how can I help my clients basically become more sustainable? How can they, because for me, I'm still value the benefit of, you know, having having a lot of clothes to be able to change it up and, and still feel good. Like all those benefits, I kind of look at it and just like, I don't want to take that away, but how can we supply it in a better way? So Thomas was like, um, so I was kind of like, yeah, but everybody have all these clothes in their wardrobe, right? That they're not using, but they're also not getting rid of. How can we have access to those things? And at the time, obviously there was Tinder and all of this. Mm -hmm. So we were like, okay, definitely we could make an app. It's kind of like a Tinder where you can find your style sister and, you know, they live locally. So you can swap your wardrobe five weeks at a time. There's no money exchange, but you become like, it's kind of like a social thing. So I remember when we first launched it, I was actually quite naive. Um, I went to an app, almost like a developer company and basically go, um, yeah, I want to build like a Tinder-like app, but, you know, for, for wardrobes and stuff. If you see someone you like, you click into their profile, you can see all their clothes kind of thing. Really cool concept. And they were like, sure, um, um, that's going to be $300,000. Oh. And I was like, all right, um, I'll be back. <laughs> Never actually went back. I was like, oh, okay, it's really expensive. And then um, I was talking to one of the one of my friends who's just like in in the almost like a startup world, and he basically said, hey, the first thing to do is validate your idea, and use the current existing software and all of these things that already exist. And if the if the idea is what people want, they're gonna use it. They don't have to be perfect. Yeah. So then I was kind of like, I launched the first um, almost like a Facebook group page kind of thing. And that was still, um, it was growing slowly, but people weren't really doing it as much. And then um, then I found um, like a marketplace template kind of thing, but it wasn't like perfect. So I have to like um, tweak it, basically kind of like um, hack it to make it work how I want it to be. And then it went live 2017, I think. And within the first couple of months, we grew to like 500 users. And yeah, so people were like using and swapping. And every month we were doing, because um, one of the problem with marketplace, with most marketplace is um, the way you present the clothes, the photo. So every month we host like a photo shoot. So the community will come and then bring their clothes and 
then we'll have a couple model. If you don't want to model it, the model can do it for you kind of thing. And yeah, it was good. It was fun. But because there was no like money exchange or anything, it was kind of like, you know, there's starting to get a lot more work on Mm. my end because, you know, managing marketplace is not easy. So, and then at one point I was kind of like, okay, this is, let's look at what it is and then how does people use it? And how can we monetize that? And that's when we um, pivoted into um, Co-Claw. So essentially what was happening a lot was people that have a lot of clothes that are happy to share, lend out, they don't even need money back for it or anything. Um, Felt like they don't really borrow from anyone else. It was a hustle for people to come to their house or they have to ship it. So they basically send it to um, our warehouse, which is essentially my house at the town. And I manage it for them. Um, and it was easier for people that want to borrow that instead of they going to different houses to different people, they can just come to me and go, I want this piece, I want this piece, I want this, all, all these five pieces for the next five weeks. And I just chip it to them, charge them the shipping fee, and that was it. So Cold Claw was kind of like developing from there where we were like, all right, now we're going to make it official where everyone send the clothes in. Using my styling skill, I'm going to make a capsule wardrobe, five items that can create up to 20 outfits. And then you can, um, yeah, and you can rent it for $149. And I remember that um, when we launched the concept within the first like three to four weeks, we had like 4,000 people sign up. And um, and yeah, we had like nearly a thousand items sent in um, to the warehouse essentially my house again and we were like whoa okay this is this is kind of like a thing um it was happening uh one of the one of the main thing that we found that was um quite difficult was everybody's standard of clothing is different so all the pieces like a thousand pieces that's that we we receive was um different brand and even if we created like these other brands, a different season, different style. So it was quite hard to kind of almost like make it like unifying of your own branding of like yeah. what kind of clothing are you actually offer kind of thing. Yeah. And one of the problem, one of other problem is the sizing. Everything come in one size because you come from one wardrobe, right? Mm-hmm. So then for us to be able to scale massively commercially, we need so much stock. Because if you're size eight, like you're gonna need, you're gonna want so much option in size eight. And if you're size ten, you're gonna want so much option. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was kind of like, I met my ex-co-founder. Then at the same time, we were like step back a little bit from both of our businesses and kind of like, is this exactly what we're trying to do? Like, Try to look back and like, what are you? What are we trying to do? And we both realized that, um, yeah, um, marketplace consumer. Um, is powerful, but if we're not able to enabling fashion brands to change their behavior, we're not going to change the industry on a larger scale because it's just too disconnected part. The consumer can just do all this re-commerce, rental, resale, secondhand, do whatever they want to do, but the rate of fashion brands producing remain the same and increasing. They're not connecting. So it doesn't matter how much we buy secondhand, it doesn't actually stop the overproducing problem. So that's when we kind of like, all right, let's find a way to bring brand into this economy. And that's when we launched Renta. Wow. Now, yeah. there, was a lo- there was a lot packed into that answer. And, and that, I was going to say, did that even answer the question? No, 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 no. no, no, no. Um, 
I think you, you already went through the full journey and evolution from Tumnus to Koklo to Renter, um, which I did have planned. But I think there was a really interesting. There was something really interesting that I think you might have, you just slipped under the radar when you were told this will take three hundred thousand dollars to make this marketplace, and then you're like, "Nah." You just mentioned quite offhandedly, "Oh, there was this marketplace. There was like this uh, existing tool. I sort of hacked at it, and then you know, they made it out." Do you have a background in technology or anything? What do you What do you mean by you just like hacked it and then it just worked? Oh, um, no, I don't. I don't have a tech um, a tech background. Um, I, I I'm not a coder or anything, but I I'm a researcher and I'm also like when I dig my hand into certain things, it's like if I wanted to learn something, I can't spend weeks to try and learn and understand it and we have so much tools these days it's like literally anything you want like you can actually make it happen right so it's just all about research and making sure that you try and try and just sit in front of the computer and like well this doesn't this work in this aspect this work in this aspect how do you get those two to talk together and if you can't do it yourself you go online to like places like Upwork, you go online to like find all, all these freelancer that they can tell you whether that's possible, that's not possible. So I think it's just, I don't know, it's just a natural thing of, um, I don't even know if it's a natural thing of a, a founder where you just, you just solve problem. I don't have $300,000, but it's, it's not, it shouldn't stop me from, you know, launching something that I believe is going to be successful or, you know, something that I can eventually raise $300,000 to actually build it. Yeah. So I guess that was, um, yeah, kind of, yeah, something you just learn. You can just learn. Yeah, no, of course. I think um, you touch on this point about how founders are, at least to me, founders are this rare breed of people who, in spite of the odds completely being stacked against you of trying to disrupt, like, the momentum of an industry <laughs> or disrupt the momentum of, like, something as massive as fashion, um, you still do it anyways. So I think that's really quite a phenomenal trait that you have. Uh, on that mm -hmm. note, though, I am interested to know about the sort of like when you came across these roadblocks. So you mentioned like meeting your meeting your ex-co-founder and then obviously I believe you started Tumnus by yourself. Yeah, so well, Tumnus with, um, I did have uh, four other, uh, founder but they do slightly different things and I was pretty much like almost like the driving force yeah. and I guess it's like we were working together for about six six to nine months before we found a solution that like we could launch this thing but I think because everyone's kind of like sort of like died out because they were like oh this is taking too long and I guess they were probably almost like believe in my passion and they just wanted to help within that skill set Mm -hmm. um but yeah I don't think they were intentionally like none of them wanted to be a founder founder yeah no, yeah that makes sense um so then with this in mind and obviously you're a hustler like you're someone who is just going you're going to try and problem solve but I think at some point you also recognize that you can't one person can't do the entire sort of like full stack of things it's just like I think you can attest to, um, you know, maybe this harks back to your pastry chef days of, you know, going up and not seeing, not seeing any sunlight of trying to like work through things. How did you meet the team 
or at least how did you meet the first few people for Renter? For Renter, um, I met I met um, Natalie, who was my um, ex co-founder. Um, I think it was one of my colleague, and yeah, he introduced us because it's like he met her, and he was just like, "God, you guys have incredible passion in sustainability and in the fashion business. You guys should just meet and talk." Um, and at the time, I wasn't even looking for because at the time I was launching Coco, like we launched and it was successful. So I wasn't even looking for anything else. Um, I met Nat and we sat down and we both have like really big visions and stuff. And we were kind of like, there's a lot of crossover. Um, so then, and we, we got along really well. We have slightly different personality skill set. So we were kind of like, oh, and a week later we text each other and be like, hey, should we like have a chat again? And just to see whether, should we give it a try? Like, like test it out whether actually if we were to join force what would that look like and we kind of do that and that and then at some point I think 2019 toward the end we did make that call Nat closed her own startup and then I decided to pivot Coco and move it into um, Renter and it was just Nat and I at the moment um, at, at the time and both of us were not um, Cortec founder but we have um, almost like a slightly different skill set. I'm really, um, I almost more like a B2C uh, yeah, consumer behavior. And that no, um, that background was from fashion brand. So she was a buyer. So she was kind of like really know the, the inside and like inside out of the, the, the fashion brand business. So then we kind of like, develop um, a few idea of what rental could look like because obviously the button, it didn't exist anywhere. It was like people didn't. It's it, the e-commerce is always a separate website or is a marketplace, and there was not really a, a template for us to go. Oh, it's successful somewhere here. Let's just copy it and and make it successful in Australia. And that's usually what startup is kind of like. You see it. Oh, it's done really well here in New York. We can make it happen here, and then we can, you know. Um, but that didn't really happen. So for us, it was kind of like if. Like, imagine if you were a fashion brand, how would you like to offer this service kind of thing? And then, and we kind of like sort of develop a few ideas from there. And we met our first employee um, who's um, now become like one of my most important person, um, Lisa, yeah. uh, later on. So she was, the not, she was the next person that joined Force not long after um, Nat and I actually launched uh, Renta. Lisa was working at Australia Fashion Council mm. in this like almost like a tech lab sort of um area. So what she does is um she has a program where a lot of Australian brands who can who's connected to Australia Fashion Council um will have access to all these like tech solution that you know will help their brand grow in a more sustainable way. And Lisa came across renter and she was like this is going to be one of the solution that I'm always going to um, introduce it to all the brand because it's legitimately like you know it's making you more money is actually keeping your data keeping your customer data like it, it works it it it's perfect for brand so then we talk a few times and she's like how can I help so then she started you know even be, before she's join us full time she was just kind of like I'm gonna start making introduction and and all of this and not long like I think about a month or two in we were kind of like do you want to come join us um because we can see that you really want to drive this with us 
And then after Lisa joined us not long, um, Nat also have this um, another startup on the side, which is a digital fashion. Um, and it was taking off at around the same time as Renter. And unfortunately, um, it's, and, and we, we sat down and talked and was kind of like, you're going to need to to look after it full time because it's like, you know, it, it was growing. It's the same as Renter. It's going to require like a full time dedication kind of thing. So you can't just do half and half. None of it is going to be successful. So we decided to like, um, went separate way um it was slightly sad but we're good friends and you know and I mean like we still talk all the time and like whatever we can help each other with now and then you know like be be being a founder sometimes you get it can get quite lonely sometimes because you just you just kind of sort of like you, you just hand you're just holding on to all of this like problem that you have running the business and all the roadblocks and stuff and sometimes you run out of creative ideas so you just need someone to balance that energy that ideas so 100% recommend it to anyone that wants to start a startup that like have a co-founder if you can mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think obvious like I think that you make a very um like good point about how founding something sort of feels like a lonely journey sort of like a journey where you're just like, you know, sometimes you're just like by yourself working on a problem, obviously with a team, of course. Um, but when you're the sole founder, it can be a bit challenging. It can be, well, it's not a bit challenging. It's very challenging. How do you- it is very challenging, yeah. both like, you know, um, technically and also like emotionally as well. It's just like, it just, it's just a lot of stress and stuff. So yeah, I think make sure that you, you, you even you can be successful if you surrounded yourself with like the right team. Yeah, your founding team, amazing. Like you gotta get get it right. And advisory team, super important. Mm. And as well as like investor, you're gonna want someone who you can go to and be completely transparent and just go, I've hit a roadblock. I need help now. Yep. No, one hundred percent. So just for the listeners who might not have heard about Renter before or don't have a full idea of what Renter is, can you just like tell us about how does Renter work? Yeah, um, Renter is a re-commerce rental and resales inventory software. And that's enabling fashion brands to rent out and resell their product directly on their own website. So we integrated a button right next to that at the cart button. As a consumer, you can go to your favorite brands and be able to buy brand new, rent, or buy secondhand in one place. Oh, and does is rental is like the rental model more sustainable than essentially the current way that we consume things? Well, yes, and also it 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 is, but then also it's um it's also um talking to a different audience that brands is currently not talking to. Um, there's there's people that you know don't want to commit long term, people that just want access to things, and you know people that are passionate about their footprint. So then um there's this like there's no reason why brand can't take ownership of all of that because essentially the re-commerce market that exists as it is. It's just um, benefiting purely from all the brand marketing, all the brand IP, all the brand item, designer item, yeah. without brands actually taking a cut, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So I guess for us, it's just like, you know, the best place to buy your favorite brand secondhand. It is on your 
favorite brand website like why do we need to complicate it like you should be able to go in one place buy brand new rented buy second hand in one place yeah no that's fun no i think that's phenomenal i remember so just as a bit of background for the listeners i first met shania because her renter was one of the companies which we had the opportunity to pitch for this venture capital competition and there was this really interesting, when there was the AMAs, they're sort of like the AMAs with each of the founders. And essentially, we all look we, like we all had the pitch deck prior for the, these three startups. We went into the AMAs, they're 30 minutes. And when we jumped into Renters One, and we met Shania for the first time, I had eight questions prepared. My friend had 12 questions prepared. Other teams had like pretty much all of these questions prepared because we were so impressed by the pitch deck and the thought to ourselves that this has real there's real like footing underneath this idea um and shanya stayed for not 30 minutes she stayed for 58 minutes answered all of our questions was getting grilled left right and center it was non-stop grilling for like an hour and it was one of the most incredible just sort of like ama sessions that i've had the pleasure of being a part of so when it comes to rent, and I'll actually tie this into the next question of when I'm, my background is in sustainability. So I'm a renewable energy engineer. I currently work at a software sustainability startup. Um, my job is essentially to help companies reduce their carbon emissions, measure and reduce carbon emissions. And so when I saw the sustainability page on the renter website and I saw all the things that you're already doing as far as like sustainable packaging, um, carbon neutral, like transport network, all these things, it just immediately lit up in my head. I was just like, okay, you have put an incredible amount of thought into this. Can you tell me about sustainability and what Renter is doing to be more sustainable than the rest of the industry? Um, it's definitely, we're just at the beginning of our journey in terms of sustainability. There's so much that we don't know yet. So what we, what we know that, um, what, what the first step that we are taking is essentially trying to break down and have a full understanding of the impact of our company does, and also the industry in general in as a re-commerce, because as much as it's been around for a long time, but there's no real data and stats for us to actually figure it out exactly. Is it is it creating more positive impact or negative impact? There's still a lot of arguments happening around it, right? So as a company at the moment, we're doing a lot of research in terms of where we're sitting in as a whole industry. If a consumer rents something, does this actually stop them from buying something? Or what is was it footprint impact? Um, of one garment being made and one garment being rented 10 times. What, what is that? So basically, um, a, a, along our journey, as much as like we're trying to make it, you know, commercially successful, as, um, the foundation of our company is sustainable. So we, we need to make sure as well that um, we're creating more positive impact the negative impact. And then we need to understand where our negative impact, our footprints is coming from. If it is the logistic, if it is the packaging, if it's an operation, um, you know, like the dry cleanings and all of that. Um, those are, I don't want to use, the, like, I'm not going to say that it's easy, but 
it has a lot more chance to be improved as the economy grow. So like, you know, the transportation, we can use all the um, carbon neutral uh, at the moment, carbon neutral fleet, or eventually it will all become electric um, fleet. So basically you, you can improve those technology along as um, the economy grow and the logistic, um, logistic industry grow. Um, that will help us as well, as well as the dry cleaning. Um, we can use like the, the the chemical and and the way that you know we can we can have both wet clean and dry clean to make sure that um, it's as sustainable as possible. As well as the thing is for us, it is about increasing utilization of one garment because we all know that that is one of the main problem. The utilization rate of one garment has reduced massively. The the rate of producing clothing has doubled in the past 15, 20 years. So basically we're producing 100 item, 100 billion items a year and we only use it three times and then we toss it. So it is kind of, you know, it, it, for us, like the most important thing at the moment is how can we, rather than, rather than having everybody owning exactly the same item, how can we actually grant access for everybody to be able to access all of these things at the lowest footprints possible. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that, I think I read this article or it might have actually been on the renter page where it mentioned about how the rental, like one of the challenges that we immediately identified was, oh, if I'm renting something, I'm only going to use it for special occasions, like say, you know, a wedding or a function or things like that. Um, I think I saw your recent founders note where from the data that you've collected, a lot of that still remains the same. I think something like 80% of rentals are still for like these one-off events, but obviously the goal is to be make renting the norm as far as like, it's not just for these one-off events. Um, I think that's what one of the things which separates you from perhaps your competitors. It's this idea that you're going to be therefore like, yo, the entire wardrobe, not just for these one events, it's for like everyday use. What do you think needs to be done to reach that vision? Um, a lot of education still needs to happen. I think a lot of people still, even even renting for special occasion, um, I think majority of people still haven't really tried it. And we know from collecting information from our own consumers, well, 50% of our consumer actually have never rented anywhere else before because they didn't trust the current system where they go into marketplace or they go to like the rental houses because for them, it, it felt a little bit like, oh, I don't know what the condition is going to be like. There's just no, there's not, not a lot of trust there. And because when it's special occasion, which is almost like a first step into rental industry, um, it's quite high emotional because you want that dress for a particular time. And if it doesn't arrive or if it arrives and it doesn't look exactly the same how you want it to be, you just kind of, you just kind of like, well, what do I do now? I'm going to have to go buy something really quickly. So as soon as we launch our solution, we're able to connect them with the brand that they already trust and love, knowing that there's an operation team, logistics team in the middle that is, um, you know, um, we'll be able to run all of these things. There's a customer service team that they can talk to. Um, yeah, literally 50% of our customer have never rented anywhere else before. So for them, it's just like as soon as this available on the fashion brands, 
they will jump on and give it a try. So for us, it is about getting our button on as many fashion brands for them to give it a try, give it a chance, connect to your own consumer. And then, yeah, getting, um, educating people, try it for a special occasion, see what it feels like. And then the next step would be try it for seasonal, you know, especially for something like jacket and coat. And if you live in Sydney, you get cold for about three months. So then, and it's get really cold for about one month. So maybe, um, you know, try renting three different coat in, um, in the whole season. And then the next year, you kind of, you do it's exact the same thing. And I think, or even rent one coat and then keep wearing what you already have as well. So I think just, just to give it a try, step in um, in the easiest possible way, or even holiday wardrobe. Like I'm currently on holiday at the moment and I found, you know, renting um, holiday wardrobe is like the best thing because you normally don't wear a lot of this thing um, at home because you're in a different climate and it's perfect to pack like five pieces and then you make sure that five pieces work together. So you've got like a really light wardrobe that look amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, no, I'm, I actually just came back from a short holiday, like um, down to Melbourne. So I'm based in Sydney, went down to Melbourne and I was thinking to myself, it'd be really nice if there was like a men's collection for me, like if when I like came down. So I'm looking forward to potentially an expansion in the near future for that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, so I'm listening and I'm thinking about like, okay, so there's brand acquisition. There's this, uh, what's it called? This education piece that you need to push for consumers. What does the next six months look like for renter? Next six months, um, it's probably like almost could, could almost easily be the, the most important six months for us as well, because we've got, um, quite a lot of exciting brands, you know, pipeline at the moment that, um, once they're launched with us, um, I think it's going to change almost like the consumer mindset and, and the industry in general, because we've got quite, um, a few leading brands essentially that's going to come on and, that's when the industry is going to see that, oh, wait, okay, so these guys are doing this and they're doing it really well. So hopefully, you know, that's when um, almost like a, a tick from us, but like we're going up to the next step, basically the next six months, we've got all this incredible brand. And also as mentioned that um, at the moment, we're live with Renta, which is rental. And in the next six months, uh, um, beginning of next year, we are launching a resales integration platform so essentially enabling fashion brands to have their own resale page where as a customer when you buy something from the brand three to six months later you can um, tick the box resales and it's populated back on your brand and um, yeah so people can come to the brand and buy it you know off you directly as well so essentially having fat like for example brand that um you know some of the brand partner that we're talking to at the moment have insane amount of um, community on Facebook marketplace, like mm-hmm. Facebook group for particular brand like Camilla or Camilla and Mark or Simmerman, all of this is like, yeah. you know, transacting every day. And there's no reason why they can't transact, transact on the brand website. There's no reason why they can't keep their community within their own platform. They have a perfectly beautiful platform that they've been marketing and trying to get people you know, to land on it. So, um, so we're, yeah, we, we launching the, the resale integration 
in the next six months. So that's very exciting. That's no, that's phenomenal. That's amazing to hear. And I think I just want to begin to close this interview on a bit of a more reflective piece. What advice do you have for any young person who's hesitant about founding their own startup or following a passion of theirs? Um, I mean, there's so many advice you can give a person, right? Because I think one of the main thing, um, really find your reason, I think. Um, really, really understand what you're doing it for. Like it could be, you know, like you're passionate about the problem or you see the gap in the market or you just want to make lots of money. Like fully be honest with yourself and fully understand what you're trying to do will help um, pave the way exactly how you want it to be. There's no like right or wrong answer why you want to start up something. If you see a gap in the market, that's almost like the best thing, right? Because you you see something that no one else seen. Um, and, and I think just also to realize, um, and I know that a lot of people probably started to realize this is, there's no overnight success, like overnight success doesn't exist. It's actually, you know, like you only, you only suddenly hear about this person, they become famous overnight. But, um, if you really look back into the background and how the journey become, um, you, you probably need to realize that like, it's just no quick win. Um, it is part of your journey and there's no guarantee win either. So you're going to want to enjoy it and you're going to want to also understand that if I don't get to like, you know, what I ultimately want from this, what else can I get along this journey? And I think that's um, that's probably one of the more, imp more important things. Um, make friends, connect with people. It's going to lead you somewhere you just don't know yet. So, um, and also, you know, um, you don't always have to start something either. Just be part of something is also really quite powerful because it's like, even though you didn't start it, you can also be quite a crucial part in that like startup team as well. So yeah, just, I, I think find that thing that like, what's this, um, what's you're passionate about? and or what you're good about what you actually really enjoy doing and then just um the one another thing is like if you want to do something jump in and do it like literally just just be a doer be a thinker but don't overthink it think it and do it because until you actually do it you just don't know whether you're doing it right you're doing it wrong are you actually liking it yeah so I think that's probably how I've been doing things anyway so yeah amazing Thank you, Shania. Um, thank you so much for being the inaugural guest of the First Meetings podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And that concludes my interview with Shania Supasiritad, founder of Renter. I wrote an in-depth article on my blog, which dives into the scale of the fashion problem in greater detail, linked in the show notes. If you'd also like to follow and support Shania on her mission to make fashion more sustainable, Renter's website and her LinkedIn are also linked there. Stay tuned for next month's episode where I'll be sharing my conversation with Izu Tan, product at Cecil, on how to build a purposeful career. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Thank you.